With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. And guys, I'm here to tell you MyBookie is the best sportsbook option out there for all Georgia fans. It's a simple process. Just go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account. You have two great options to choose from, two great promo codes. You can use our exclusive code, which is UGA, to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Tough to beat that. But if you want to get a straight cash bonus added straight to your account with zero strings attached, just use the code 200CASH to get that 10% cash bonus. So two great options, guys. Make the best choice for yourself and sign up today day at my bookie but all right guys i am your host tyler and i am freaking pumped about breaking down this georgia tennessee matchup this weekend on rocky top look i love talking college football football in general i'm a football junkie that's who i am that's what i am that's why i have this podcast but in particular i love talking about this tennessee offense at least i have come to love talking about this tennessee offense over the past couple of seasons because I think there's just so many wild misconceptions about what this offense is and what they do. Even among the Tennessee fan base, I don't think the vast majority of Tennessee fans really understand what their offense is and what they're watching. So yes, I love talking about the Tennessee offense, and I also think there's some misconceptions about the Tennessee program in general, that it's just an offensive-driven program that doesn't play any defense. That's not true. They play really good defense. They did last year, and they're playing even better defense this year. They're a little banged up, as we're going to get to. So I kind of just like breaking down Tennessee because you get to kind of deconstruct some of the myths that have been built around this Tennessee program under Josh Heupel. And today, guys, there's going to be no beating around the bush. I try not to do that anyway, but I'm especially not going to do it today because I have so much to talk about. There's so many things to cover with this Tennessee offense, and I really, really, really want to go into great depth, great detail with this episode. That's what I always try to do on these preview episodes. My goal every single week, breaking down each week's game, is to give you the most in-depth deep dive of each George game that you're going to find anywhere. I don't know if I always hit that mark, but that's always the goal. And today, I might have the deepest of deep dives into a Georgia regular season game that maybe I've ever had. I don't know, but certainly up there. But we've got a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and dive into this. And I'm going to start with the Tennessee offense. Because while I do think their defense is undervalued and underrated, it is very true that the offense has been the driving force behind this Tennessee team. That's true. That's indisputable. So we're going to start there. But before I get into the personnel and and who we're going to be seeing out in the field on Saturday, who we're going to be matching up against, I really kind of want to break down 
what this Tennessee offense is and what it does and how it operates. I did an episode on our YouTube channel, which I know has been kind of lacking in content, shall we say, over the past couple of weeks and really probably more than the last couple of weeks, probably last couple of months. So I apologize for that, but when the season hits, my number one priority is this podcast and when I'm doing four episodes a week and writing for Dogs Daily and and doing my day job, it becomes a lot, and I always have intentions. Every single week, I'm when I'm breaking down the tape, I'm taking notes, okay, I want to do this play at this time, I'm, I'm, I'm time stamping all these things, and I sit down to actually record it and do all of the, the, the work behind the scenes, and by the time I'm getting like halfway done, it's Thursday, and then it's kind of null and void, it's irrelevant, it just kind of is what it is. So that's kind of why it has been somewhat dead over the past couple of months, but it is not dead. That channel is going to have a lot of content for you guys in the offseason. It's just hard right now. Hopefully next season, I'll figure out a way to kind of make that more of a feature part of what we do on this podcast. I have had some people reach out and ask about our willingness to maybe do a Patreon deal. And that's certainly something we're strongly considering. We'll see. That, that's all offseason stuff. But if you haven't checked out that episode, you can still go to YouTube, look up the Glory UGA podcast channel, and there's an episode, I forget exactly what it's titled, but something along the lines of why Georgia is kryptonite for the Tennessee offense, something like that. And I showed actual clips from the Georgia game last year, Alabama's matchup against Tennessee, and tried to show you why Georgia particularly has had so much success defending this Josh Heupel Tennessee offense. And we're going to talk more about that today, but I want to go even deeper than that. I want to talk about what this Tennessee offense is and what it does. So there is a misconception, I think, among the general college ball fan. I hear a lot of people talk about the Tennessee offense in air raid terms. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've even seen talking heads on ESPN or whatever call this offense an air raid offense. And I'm here to tell you it is in no way an air raid offense. That's not what this is. This is an offshoot of the Art Bryles Baylor offense. Really what it's called, what it's kind of been named over the years, is the deep choice offense. And one of the hallmarks of this deep choice offense that Josh Heupel has adopted somewhat of his own, and certainly put his own twist on it, but one of the hallmarks is its utter simplicity. Now, when you say that on social media or in a podcast, Tennessee fans lose their freaking minds because they take that as an insult. Like you're calling their players dumb and their coach dumb and their fans dumb. It's like, no, man, that's, that's not what's happening here. I'm just telling you that your offense is incredibly simplistic. In fact, its beauty is in its simplicity. I don't mean that as an insult. In fact, that is the design. That's not a flaw in the design. That is the design. This offense is designed to simplify reads for quarterbacks so they can go fast and make it difficult for defenses to communicate and get their defensive coverages set and basically cause bust in the back end. That's what they're going for. And if you're going at the tempo that they go at, one of the fastest teams in the country, you simply cannot have a complex offense. It doesn't work like that. But let me explain what makes this offense so simple. This is not an offense where a quarterback sits back and goes through progressions. There is no full field progression. That does not happen in this offense. In fact, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, in fact, almost exclusively, they are reading, the quarterback is reading one side of the field. And more often than not, the quarterback is reading the defender covering one specific receiver. In fact, on the backside of each play, Watch it closely on Saturday, guys. Watch it. The backside of the play, whatever side the quarterback is not looking at, watch the receivers on that side of the ball. They are not running routes. The vast majority of the time, they're just going to sit there and they're dead. And really what they call it, they call it a hangout route. They're kind of just like barely walking off the line of scrimmage. And there's a reason behind that. They're not being lazy. 
they want those receivers to save themselves for when they are the primary read because they run a lot of vertical routes, right? So there's a lot of running for receivers that go at warp speed. So they want to give these guys a break. So they are truly reading one side of the field. On the other side of the field, it's the routes aren't even there. They're not even running routes. Those are dead routes. They hang out routes. I'm telling you, watch it closely on Saturday. You will see exactly what I'm talking about. If you watched them closely this year or last year, you already know what I'm talking about. But let's get to the namesake of what the offense is. They call this the deep choice offense. They call it that because the primary play they run is the deep choice concept. That's not the only play they run. They'll run some screens. They'll do some different things. Obviously, in the run game, they run inside zone a ton. So it's not the only pass concept they run, but it is the pass concept that they run the most often. And I would say the vast majority of their pass concepts are deep choice. And the basic premise behind the deep choice concept is you want to get the receiver and the defensive back covering them out on an island one-on-one. Now, how do you do that? Tennessee does it with their extreme wide receiver splits. They're going to spread these receivers out as far as they can, as close as they can to the sideline. Typically, it's coached to be about five yards from the sideline. Honestly, if you watch Tennessee, sometimes it's even closer than that, four, three-ish at times, but they get really, really close to the sideline. And the reason that they do that is because the further you get away from the ball, the closer you are to the sideline as a receiver, the more difficult you make it for the safety to get over the top to provide help to that cornerback. Again, the goal is to isolate your very fast, very athletic wide receivers one-on-one in space with a guy that has no safety help over the top. And the way you do that is by spreading the field with these extreme wide receiver splits, making it essentially impossible for safety to get over the top of of that cornerback to provide help. So that's the setup. Now, when the ball is snapped, what happens? Well, we call it a deep choice route, a deep choice concept, because the receiver is going to have choices on what route he runs based on the reaction of that defender. If the defender is aware of the speed and athleticism of the Tennessee wide receiver, let's say Jalen Hyatt, for instance, last year, typically they're going to play off, right? Because if they don't play off and you're in man coverage out there one-on-one with no help, you're on an island, they're going to run right past you. A guy like Jalen Hyatt will run right past you and embarrass you on a go route. So what do you do? You play off. Well, if the DB plays off like that, what the receiver is going to do is they're going to run a comeback route. When Tennessee is willing to take those yards, those free yards over and over again, well, now the DB is going to play a little tighter coverage and then the receiver is going to run past them on that vertical deep route. What the receiver is doing, they're going to run a 10-yard vertical seam on the deep choice concept. 10 yards up the field right at the DB. They're going to step on their toes. That's what they're trying to do. They want to stack the DB if they can. And again, if the receiver gets on top of that DB, that cornerback, within 10 yards, he's he's just going. It's the old phrase, if he's even, I'm leaving, right? So if you're even with the corner, you're leaving. You're going vertical. But again, if the DB, the cornerback is playing off coverage, if he's playing on top of the receiver and you can't, as a receiver, you can't get on top of the DB, well, when you get to that, the top of your 10-yard stem, you just play it and you run a comeback. You put the brakes on, boom, you come right back down the stem and you should be wide open there. And it's just simple pitch and catch at that point. And then the third option is if the cornerback is playing with outside leverage. If the cornerback is playing with outside leverage, then that receiver on the outside is going to run a post route. And if you as a defense get caught in some middle of the field open coverage, like cover two or quarters coverage, we have two high safeties, they can exploit that. And a lot of times they do get caught in those kind of coverages because you're trying, even though it's very difficult and oftentimes it's in vain, you're still trying to that safety over the top. So that's in a nutshell. That's the deep choice. And you can do that with the outside receiver or the slot receiver. 
only one of those players, only one of those receivers, the slot receiver or the outside receiver, is the deep choice guy is active on any particular play. The other receiver is just running occupy routes where you're trying to occupy the safety, essentially. And it's really that slot receiver that is the premier position in the Tennessee offense. That's the position they really want to feature. Now, again, they'll run the deep choice stuff with the outside receiver. In the past couple years, it's been Cedric Tillman. But they really want to feature that slot receiver. Why? Because that slot receiver, number one, is not matched up typically with your best cover guys, which are usually your cornerbacks, right? Like Kamari Lasseter for us. They're oftentimes matched up on safeties. If you remember the Alabama game last year in Knoxville, what happened over and over and over again? Jalen Hyatt got matched up on those safeties from the slot position, and he was the deep choice guy. And the Alabama safeties had absolutely zero chance to cover him. The deep choice concept is designed to make the defense wrong no matter what the defender does. There's always an answer for whatever the defender does. And when those safeties don't have the athleticism of a guy like Jalen Hyatt, who's an elite athlete, and they just couldn't stop him, no matter what they were doing. If they played deep, he would take what yards they gave him, he'd make plays after the catch. If they tried to bring the coverage a little tighter, he'd run right by them. They had no answers for it. If they tried to play some quarters coverage and they had that middle of the field open, he'd run the post. They had zero answers for it. And he went for over 200 yards in that game. But whether it's that slot receiver or the outside receiver, if they're running the deep choice route, they have that menu of plays, right? It's, it's a menu of plays where they either run vertical if the DB is is staying even with them, if they're playing tighter coverage, they run that 10-yard comeback. If the DB is playing on top of them, if the DB is playing with outside leverage, they're going to run the post route. That's the menu of routes they have to run. And the quarterback is just watching what happens and reacting. He's reading one side of the field. Really, it's one receiver on one side of the field. So when I say this offense is simple, that's what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what they're doing. All the teams corners out there in the country know what they're doing. It's no mystery. It's a very, very simplistic offense from a structural standpoint. But simple or not, it's incredibly difficult to stop because they spread you out. They maximize space. They utilize every inch of the field that they can. They isolate defenders one-on-one with very athletic, very fast receivers who typically are just going to have the advantage against those DBs. And then to make it even more difficult to stop, like I said earlier, they run with insane tempo. Their ball carrier, whoever has the ball, whether it's a running back, receiver, quarterback, whoever it is has got the ball, at the end of the play, they are coached to run, to sprint to the sideline, to the to the referee who's the spotting the ball, give him the ball and get back to the line of scrimmage. They want to go as fast as they possibly can which creates confusion, which creates communication issues, and generates a lot of bust in the secondary that they're going to exploit almost every time. They also like to run the deep choice from stack concepts, like with a stack formation, and that also makes it really difficult to stop because when they run these stack formations, what I mean by stack formations, you have one receiver standing basically at the line of scrimmage and then one receiver standing directly behind him. And that allows that second receiver in the stack to get even more of a free release. You can't even get your hands on him. So you say, Jalen Hyatt, well, he's not a big guy. You should be able to get your hands on him and press him in the line of scrimmage. Well, when he operates out of the slot, number one, you can't get your hands on him. If, you're, if he's outside and he operates in a stack formation, then you can't get your hands on him. I know he's not playing for them this year, but that's one of the reasons that made him so effective and why he won the freaking Blitnikoff Award as the nation's best wide receiver last year. Was he the best true receiver last year in the country? No, he wasn't. But he won that award because the offense was designed to feature what that guy does and feature his skill set. And that's why a guy like Mike Matthews from Parkview High School, big time receiver from the state of Georgia, went to Tennessee over Georgia because they sold him on, hey dude, come here and you can play that position, the slot position that Jalen Hyatt played because you're that kind of athlete and you will win the freaking Blitnikoff Award. And that's a great selling point to guys who want to put up big numbers. Now, does it translate to the NFL? 
No, not really. But these guys don't worry about that. They go, well, if I'm a great athlete, I put a big numbers, I'm going to get drafted anyway. And sure enough, you will. Now, are you prepared to be an impact guy as a rookie? Probably not because you're not really running a pro-style offense. But some of these guys don't always look at it from that perspective. So as a defense, what do you do? What do you do to defend this offense? Because if they spread you out and you're in man coverage, I mean, it's tough, man. It's really tough to defend those receivers. So you try to run some zone, right? Maybe some quarters, some cover two stuff. Well, they have answers for that too. The other option I, that they have that I haven't mentioned yet in their menu of options with the deep choice route is they have the option to, to do what they call bend the route. So if there, it's like a too high safety look, whether it's going to be cover two or quarters coverage, what that slot receiver is coached to do is to take his route vertical and then bend it behind that safety. And that's what a lot of defenses do. They try to play quarters coverage against Tennessee, and I imagine that's what we're going to do. We did that a lot last year because that's become, over the years, our primary coverage. It's not the only coverage we run. You really The thing about Tennessee, when you defend this offense, you can't really do just one thing because they're going to get smart to it, and they're going to figure out what you're doing, and they're going to have answers for it. So you have to mix it up and run a ton of different coverages. Because, for instance, if you're play, if they're playing a stack formation – and you play you play that formation a certain way one time they're going to figure out what you're doing and instead of maybe instead of having the second receiver in the stack being the deep choice route they might switch it up and have it be the first receiver based on what the defense is doing so you've got to mix it up and keep them guessing they want to keep you guessing which which guy is the deep choice guy you got to keep them guessing they also like to motion, and again, when you're going at tempo and you motion in and out of stack formations and you're, you're, you're switching your tight end from one side to the other side, when you're going at that tempo, the defense's minds are going 1,000 miles an hour, it creates bust. It messes with the structural integrity of the defense, and when a defense busts, more often than not, Tennessee is going to be able to exploit it because there's so much space for those receivers to operate in. So that's the deep choice route. That is the core of what the offense is from a passing standpoint. But that's far from the only thing that makes this offense difficult to defend. Because one thing that I've tried to hammer home on this podcast over the past couple of years, going back to last year when we faced Tennessee, is despite what the common conception of this Tennessee offense is, that it's some high-flying, pass-happy, air-raid-style offense, that could not be further from the truth. Last year, Tennessee ran the ball 55% of the time. We ran the ball 53% of the time, which I always think is hilarious because people have this conception of our offense as this antiquated, run-first, power, pro-style offense that isn't up-to-date with modern football. But they have this conception of Tennessee as this high-flying, pass-first offense, and they actually run the ball more than we do. They ran the ball more than we did last year, and they run the ball more than we do this year. They're, once again, this season, running the ball on 55% of their offensive snaps. So yes, it's undeniable that they run the ball more than they throw it. But the run game, in my opinion for Tennessee, is a means to an end. What they really want to do at the core of the offense is dial up those vertical shots where they're just going to gut you, the kill shots. They want to decimate you with explosive plays and just light up the scoreboard. But running the ball is what allows them to do that. Because when they run the ball and they commit to running the football, then that typically most teams are going to have to respond by rolling safeties into the box. And what that is going to do is going to guarantee that they have not just one, but multiple one-on-one matchups on the outside if the defense is playing man. If they're playing zone, which is tough to do when you roll safeties in the box, but you can still run cover three, going to have a one-high safety, but you can run cover three, or I guess you can run cover one, which is man coverage across the board with one deep safety playing the deep middle. But for the Tennessee offense, 
it's all a numbers game. Again, going back to the beauty is in its simplicity. If you have a light box, if they outnumber you in the box, Tennessee is going to run the football every single time. If you outnumber them in the box, they are going to throw the football every single time. They just count numbers, guys. That's all they're doing. And they are committed to doing that. If they have a light box, they are going to run. They are committed to running into light boxes because what they want to do is force you to bring a safety into the box so that that box is no longer light and now you can just cut them to pieces. So Tennessee can cut you to pieces with that vertical passing game and hit explosive play after explosive play, which is what they did to Alabama last year in route to that 52-49 victory. So let's go back to the YouTube episode I did well, a couple of months ago, I probably did it in July, August, one of those months before the season. And that episode, again, was titled something along the lines of why Georgia is kryptonite for the Tennessee offense. Allow me to explain why I think that is the case. Why Georgia, over the past two seasons, since Josh Heupel has taken over that Tennessee offense, has been so successful in shutting down, shall we, shall we say, or at least slowing down, maybe not completely shutting down, but slowing down the Tennessee offense while they have just been slicing up team after team. The reason we have been kryptonite for the Tennessee offense is because we have been so dominant, so good on the defensive line and the front six in general, that we have been able to contain their run game when we have even numbers in the box. Again, remember what I just told you. When they see even numbers in the box, it's an automatic run. And when they run the football with even numbers against most teams, they pick up big yards because most teams don't have the defensive line in the front six to be able to handle the Tennessee ground game, particularly when they have their extreme wide receiver splits. Think about it, guys. If you have extreme wide receiver splits, and let's say you have a star defender, you're in your nickel package, which almost certainly you're going to at least be in your nickel package when you play Tennessee. Well, when the slot receiver is spread out as wide as he is, that separates, that removes your star defender further from the box. And the star defender has run fit responsibilities. That's a key run defender in our scheme and in most schemes. So when they're that removed from the box, they do not have the ability to fit against the run the way that they typically would against teams that run normal wide receiver splits. And obviously, the cornerbacks have a hard time being a factor in the run game because they're even further removed from where the ball is being snapped. And the reality is, most teams that Tennessee plays are not good enough in the front six with even supply and their inside linebackers to be able to contain the Tennessee ground game. They bite off chunks of yards against most teams with even numbers in the box. However against Georgia the past two seasons, they have been unable to do that. Let's go back to last year, guys. Let's start last year and we'll come to this year. Let's go back and look at 2022 and the two teams that held Tennessee under 100 yards rushing, Georgia and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh held them to 91 yards rushing, 2.6 yards per rush. Tennessee won that game, but they won it by a touchdown. It was a hard-fought contest. They did not do to Pittsburgh what they did to LSU, for instance, or Alabama, or Kentucky, or Missouri. Those teams could not stop the Tennessee run game with even numbers. So they had to roll guys in the box, and then they were just they were completely helpless against that deep vertical passing game, the deep choice game, right? That deep choice concept. Well, Pittsburgh was really good in the front six last year. They were able to stop the Tennessee run game. They were able to keep a too high safety shell. And even though it's hard for the safety to get over the top of those outside receivers, they at least have an opportunity to try to do so. You can run some quarter stuff, which if there's anything that slows down the Tennessee offense, I do think that's the best coverage to run. It's not a magic bullet. It's not going to completely shut down the Tennessee offense, but it makes it harder for them to operate. But most teams, again, cannot do that because got to roll safety in the box. You roll safety down, then you can't run quarters coverage. You only got one high safety. And so you can only basically run cover three or cover one. 
And then on November 5th last year, remember all that hype, guys? All the crazy trash Tennessee fans were talking, and even talking heads nationally, all the trash they were talking, saying Georgia had no chance to keep up with Tennessee. Well, they just didn't know what they were talking about because they didn't understand what the Tennessee offense is all about. They didn't understand how central the Tennessee run game is. They thought they were just going to throw all over us, but they didn't get that you have to be able to run the ball in the Tennessee offense for that to really be as effective as they need to be against a team like Georgia. They ran the ball 42 times against us. Why did they run the ball 42 times? Because they kept getting light boxes because we didn't have to roll guys down. And I told you, when they see light boxes, they're going to run the football. It's just a numbers count. That's what they do. So even though they only ran the ball for 94 yards, they kept grinding, kept running and running and running and running because that's what their offense does. 94 yards, 2.2 yards per rush, and that's why we held them to 13 points last year. Now, Tennessee fans will cry, and they'll say, it was oh, it was the rain. Dude, no, it wasn't. I was there. It was not the rain. Trust me. It didn't even rain hardly that much. At all. It didn't rain really at all in the first half, a little bit in the third quarter, and it wasn't even that heavy. The reason we held them 13 points is they weren't man enough to be able to run the football on us. And let's look at South Carolina too. Now, South Carolina was not as good stopping the run, but they still held Tennessee to 152 yards rushing. Now, you might say, well, that's a lot of yards, Tyler, but it's not a lot compared to what they were doing to other teams. Missouri, they ran the ball for 264 Missouri. Vandy, they ran the ball for 362. Kentucky, they ran the ball for 177. Florida, they ran the ball for 227. LSU, they ran the ball for 263. Alabama, they ran the ball for 182 in that game. So when South Carolina was, relatively speaking, able to somewhat contain the Tennessee run game, they all of a sudden had some success stopping the Tennessee offense in general. Now, they outscored Tennessee. They scored 63 points on Tennessee. That was a big part of it. Tennessee still scored 38 points in that game. But South Carolina was able to keep them in check enough because they were able to stop the running game enough. Now, let's look at this year. Now, Tennessee has lost three games this year. Let's look at those three losses. For the vast majority of this season, Tennessee has been leading the SEC in rushing. After last week when LSU ran wild, I mean, Jaden Daniels had like 250 himself running the football, and Missouri really shut down the Tennessee run game, Tennessee dropped number two. But Prior to last week, they've been number one in rushing offense in the SEC for the vast majority of the season. Right now, they're number two. They're averaging 213 yards rushing per game. But when they played Florida in week three in Gainesville, the Gators held them to 100 yards rushing and 3.3 yards per carry. What happened? Tennessee lost that football game. Tennessee only scored 16 points. On the third Saturday of October, Tennessee traveled to Alabama. The Crimson Tide held Tennessee to 133 yards rushing, 3.5 yards per attempt, 38 carries. What did Tennessee do? They scored 20 points. What was the outcome of the game? Alabama victory. Last week against Missouri, Tennessee was held to 83 yards rushing by the Missouri Tigers. What happened? Tennessee only scored seven points, guys. Only seven points in a 36-7 blowout. That is the key to beating Tennessee. You have got to stop the run with the even numbers in the box. If you are South Carolina, and this year you let them run for 238. If you're A&M, you let them run for 232. If you're Kentucky, you let them run for 254. They are going to beat you. If that happens to us, if they run for over 200 yards, we're going to have a really hard time beating them. Now, maybe we can outscore them, but it's going to be it's going to be a score fest. It's going to be a shootout. And I will be quite honest with you guys. I have concerns. I do. I have concerns about our ability to be the kryptonite for the Tennessee offense that we have been the past couple of years. And my concerns are centered around the reality that we simply are not as good in the front six as we have been the last two seasons when we won back-to-back national titles. We're still really good. Still really good in the front six relative to the rest of the country. But we aren't the same defensive front. 
And I don't think that we are as good at inside linebacker right now. Although, I mean, I do like what CJ Allen's done, obviously. I think Smiles is a really good player, but we're just not as good in general in the front. Like, the linebackers are still fine. It's the it's the defensive line that is not the same level. We have a lot of the same guys who have Nas Stackhouse, still have Zion Logue, but we don't have a dude named Jalen Carter. We don't have a dude named Jordan Davis. We don't have a dude named Devontae Wyatt. We don't have those guys. Now, I was really encouraged by what we were able to do limiting the Ole Miss ground game, which is another really dynamic rushing attack after those first three drives. I said coming into last week's game against the Rebels that we were going to need a vintage Georgia rush defense performance. And by God, we got it. We got it last week. Well, guys, we need it even more this week because if you want to beat Tennessee on the road, beat them anywhere, but especially on the road in Knoxville on Rocky Top, you got to stop the run, man. You've got to stop the run. If you don't, it's going to be a long afternoon. And again, when I say stop the run, I'm not talking about by outnumbering the box. You got to do it with even numbers. So you can keep that structural integrity against the pass. You keep it two high safety shells. So you can run quarters coverage, which if there's any coverage out there that gives them problems, it is that. So that's the scheme, guys. That's the Tennessee scheme in a nutshell. Now they'll sprinkle in some screen game there every once in a while. They'll throw this little slant route from the outside every once in a while. But really what they do is they run the football against light boxes. When they get the boxes they want to throw into, more often than not, they're going to lean on that deep choice concept. And that can be either the outside guy or the inside guy. They are half field reads. They are never going through full re- full field progressions. That's never a part of the game plan. Hell, I don't even think it's in their playbook. They just don't do it. But that's what you're going to see, guys. That is what you're going to see out there on the field on Saturday in Knoxville from this Tennessee offense. And when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about the actual players this season and why the Tennessee offense has not been as dynamic, explosive, or even as efficient as it was last year. In fact, not even close. But before we get there, let me remind you once again about our great friends at MyBookie. Guys, we've only got two regular season weekends of college football left. That's crazy to think. We still have championship weekend. We still have the bowl season, which is great. So there's still football out there, but... If you've been sitting on the fence and been waiting to jump in on the action, there's no more waiting. Now is the time to jump in on all the action at mybookie.ag. They make the process so simple for you guys. They're trying to make it easy. They don't want to make it hard on you. They know you've got things going on. They know you're busy. It takes about 60 seconds. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Or if you want to get a 10% cash bonus with absolutely no strings attached, you can use the code 200cash to get a 10% cash bonus added straight to your account with no worries, no strings. As soon as you bet your first deposit, that money is there for you to do what you want with it. So take advantage of these offers while you can, guys. They were kind enough to extend our exclusive promo deal through the entire season. Initially, it was just going to be the first month, but they've had such success with it, and so many people were enjoying it that they've made it possible for you to, to still use it all throughout the regular season. So jump in while you can, because my bookie is the best sportsbook option out there. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my Bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit more about this Tennessee offense. So one message I want to hammer home for you is that this Tennessee offense 
is unequivocally not the Tennessee offense from a year ago. Now, they still want to do the same things that I just laid out before the break, but they don't do those things as well. They're not as efficient and they're not as explosive offensively. Don't believe me? Well, I have the numbers to back it up. A year ago, we all know that Tennessee opened as the number one team in the initial college football playoff rankings. Why were they able to do that? Well, because they beat Alabama. Why did they beat Alabama? Because their offense was unstoppable that day. It really was. Their offense was unstoppable for most of the season. Again, unless they played them, I could actually stop the run. But last year, guys, Tennessee was dynamic on offense. They were number one nationally in both total offense and scoring offense. They averaged 525 and a half yards a game last year, 46.1 points per game. But that's not what's happening on Rocky Top this year, guys. This year, the Volunteers are only averaging 454 yards and 32 points per game through 10 games. Now, guys, I, I suck at math, but I can do that, right? 46 points last year, 32 points this year. That's 14 points. Touchdowns were 7 points, so 14 points, 7 times 2. That's two touchdowns less per game they're scoring this year. This is not the same Tennessee offense. That is a significant decline, in fact, in overall offensive production. Now, they still are good relative to the rest of the country. They're still number 17 nationally in total offense, still number 36 in scoring offense. And that means that they still are certainly a genuine threat to challenge our defense that, you know, let's be real, guys, our defense itself is not producing at the level that it did a year ago. So even though they're not as dynamic and explosive as they were last year offensively, especially at home where they don't have to deal with the crowd noise they had to deal with at Sanford Stadium last year, which was a factor, let's make no bones about it, it was a factor, they are still good enough to give us issues. Their offense is too well-schemed for it to not give us issues. But if you look even deeper, to me personally, the most staggering disparity between Tennessee's 2022 team and its 2023 offense, you find that when you're looking at its explosive play rates. In 2022, last season, Tennessee was 14th nationally in plays of 20 or more yards and first nationally in plays of 30 or more yards. This year, Tennessee has dropped to 83rd nationally in plays of 20 or more, and 42nd nationally in plays of 30 or more yards. And let's go even deeper than that, guys. They generated 80 plays of 20 or more yards last season. Well, right now, Tennessee is only on pace to produce 53 plays of 20 or more yards, which is essentially a 35% reduction in plays of 20 or more yards. In a very similar fashion, after producing 53 plays of 30 or more yards last year, Tennessee's only on pace to produce 31 plays of 30 or more yards this season, which is basically slightly more than 40% reduction in their plays of 30 or more yards from last season. So when I tell you that they aren't as explosive of an offense as they were last year, I ain't lying. It's really not even close. And when a team like Tennessee, an offense like Tennessee, does not have the explosive punch that it enjoyed a year ago, what have they had to do? They've had to grind out longer drives, which in turn is what's primarily accounting for that two-touchdown decline in their scoring average from last season to this season. All right, so we've established that they are not nearly as explosive as they were a year ago. The next logical question is, why not? And the answer to that question is multifaceted. You've got to start with the quarterback position. It all starts there. It's the most important position on any football team, and it's certainly the most important position on the Tennessee football team with this Tennessee offense. Hendon Hooker was awesome for them last year. All that hype he was getting as a potential Heisman Trophy finalist before the injury against South Carolina, 
That was all very legitimate. And if he hadn't gotten knocked out in that game and they hadn't lost the way that they did to South Carolina, he probably would have been in New York. But it wasn't to be. But regardless, Hooker was fantastic for Tennessee last year. In the pass game, in the run game, he was a different guy. He was not the, certainly not the guy he was at Virginia Tech. And he wasn't even the guy he was in his first year as a starter at Tennessee. He was more accurate than he ever had been in his career. He was making better decisions than he ever had in his career. And I think that's in large part due to the fact that he was just more comfortable in that system. And the numbers spell that out. Last year, Hooker completed 70% of his passes, 9.5 yards per attempt, 27 touchdowns, and two interceptions prior to that injury. And he was also averaging 10.9 air yards per attempt. He was pushing the ball down the field. It was an explosive vertical passing attack. This year, with Joe Milton now taking over as the quarterback with this Tennessee offense, the numbers aren't the same. He hasn't been as efficient, and he certainly has not been as explosive. Right now, Joe Milton's averaging 65% completion percentage, only 7.8 yards per attempt, almost a two full yards below where Hunnan Hooker was a year ago, and he's only averaging 8.2 air yards per attempt. That is 2.7 yards below the air yards per attempt of Hooker a year ago. They're not even trying to push the ball down the field the way that they did last year. And Joe Milton's accuracy issues are a major part of why. This guy is erratic with his downfield accuracy. We know what kind of arm the guy has. Hell, how could you not after the last offseason? All you heard about Joe Milton every other day was Joe Milton threw the ball a quarter mile. Joe Milton threw the ball from Athens to Knoxville. Joe Milton out through Uncle Rico. You heard it over and over and over again. It was one of those offseason talking points. Well, yeah, we know that. No one ever disputed that. We know he's got a rocket launcher on his shoulder. We understand that. But it doesn't matter how strong your arm is, as I was saying all offseason, if you can't rein it in, if you can't harness that arm power and actually hit open receivers. And that is something that Joe Milton has struggled with throughout this season. I know you look at his completion percentage, you say, well, how inaccurate can he be? I mean, Tyler, are you sure? Because this guy is still completing 65% of his passes. You have to factor in all the screen game they run, guys. That inflates those numbers. But when he's trying to push the ball vertically down the field, heck, even on a lot of those 10-yard comeback routes, it's wildly erratic. Now, he can put the ball in the money. I'm not suggesting he cannot do it. He just doesn't do it with consistency. And he's thrown nearly three times the number of interceptions that Hendon Hooker threw a year ago. So Hooker played, what, I mean, nine games last year for them? He threw two interceptions in those games. This year, Milton has thrown five. That's still not an outrageous number on the surface. No, five interceptions, that's not that bad. 16 touchdowns, five picks. But again, you got to go back to what I was saying on the outside of the show. When you factor in the type of offense they run where he's not going through progressions, he's reading not just one side of the field, he's really reading one defender and one receiver, you should not be throwing a lot of picks in this offense. That's one of the benefits of simplifying it the way that they do. You take that pressure off the quarterback, and all you're really asking him to do is watch what the receiver is doing. If the receiver runs vertical, you throw the ball vertical. If the receiver plans and comes back to the football, you throw the comeback. It's really no more complicated than that. And the fact that he's throwing five picks with those kind of reads, that's not particularly great in my opinion. So yes, absolutely. Joe Milton is the core of the issue, but he is not the only issue in the Cincy offense, and he's not the only reason why they are not nearly as explosive as they were a year ago. The other element is the receiver play. Across the board, their receiver play 
has been far below what they got from the receivers a year ago. And that is not remotely, in the slightest bit, surprising to me. In fact, don't believe me? Go back and check out our Tennessee Scouting Enemy series that we did in the preseason where I was talking about exactly this. I felt Joe Milton was going to be a pretty big step back from Hinton Hooker, and the receivers were going to be an even bigger step back. I kept saying all offseason when talking about Tennessee, how can you possibly expect the Tennessee offense to even be as productive as it was last year, let alone more productive and more explosive than it was a year ago, like a lot of Tennessee fans were expecting it to be, when the receivers that you're going to be relying on this year were all complimentary pieces at best. In fact, they weren't even really complimentary pieces. They were just reserves. And when they got on the field, they showed absolutely zero signs of being anywhere near the guys that Tennessee had last year, and that has played itself out on the field this year. Guys, in 12 games last year, he only played 12 games. He did not play in the ball game. Jalen Hyatt, who, yes, won the Blitnikoff Award last year, put up 1,267 yards receiving, 18.9 yards per attempt, 15 touchdowns. Tennessee's leading receiver this year, yeah, I know they've only played 10 games, but still, 609 yards, squirrel white. They played in the same exact position that Jalen Hyatt played a year ago. That all-important slot position, slot receiver position in the Tennessee offense through 10 games, only has 609 yards receiving, only 12.4 yards per reception. That's a full six and a half yards per reception less than what Hyatt had last year, only two touchdowns. If that surprises you, then you just weren't watching Tennessee last year because Squirrel White played. Wasn't a major factor because he's not that guy, but he played. And when he played, you watch the guy, you don't see Jalen Hyatt. That's not who he is. He's not a bad receiver. I'm not trying to say that he is. He's just not a Bolitnikoff Award caliber type guy. He's not Jalen Hyatt. He doesn't have that speed. He doesn't have that athleticism to take the top off the defense the way that Hyatt did. And people really undersold the loss of Cedric Tillman because he was in and out of the lineup last year. He came into last season as the guy. Hyatt was the guy that had a ton of potential, but he hadn't really harnessed it yet. But Tillman was the alpha coming into 2022, but he dealt with some injuries and missed, missed some time. So he never really was their feature guy, but he was healthy when he played. He was a factor. He's that kind of receiver. He's an NFL guy. And backing him up, was a guy that we kind of somewhat remember from recruiting. We didn't really recruit him all that hard. We recruited his teammates. He was one of those guys on that Marietta team with Harrison Bailey and Eric Gilbert. So I watched him a lot in high school because I was watching Gilbert a lot. And every time I watched the guy play, I'm like, yeah, for a high school player, yeah, he's a good player. But this guy, he's not going to be much at the next level. He's not that kind of guy. He's not elite. And sure enough, that's been the story of his career. He's got 1,200 yards receiving total in his career. 104 yards as a freshman, 76 as a sophomore, 72 in 2021. Now, he's got a fifth year because he had the COVID year, right? So last year would have been his senior year, 31 catches for 562. This year, 28 for 469. He's a good, serviceable, solid, complimentary piece. But he can't be one of your alpha number one wide receivers, which they were expecting him to be this year. He's not that guy. He never was going to be. And then the guy that Tennessee fans were really high on coming this year, they expected him to be their number one target, was Brew McCoy, who was a really big high school recruit back in the day, went back and forth, and was Texas, and then USC ends up at USC, obviously transfers out of USC, ends up in Tennessee, but he was always a very different type of receiver. Honestly, he was never really a great fit for the Tennessee offense, because the Tennessee offense, at receiver at least, is all about speed and explosiveness, and that is definitively not what Brew McCoy is. Brew McCoy is a big physical dude. 6'3", 220. He's not especially fast. In fact, I think he's probably a 4'6 guy, but he's big. He's physical. They like to work the underneath routes with him. 
but I don't want to spend too much time on him because he's not going to be a factor in this game because he is not going to play. His leg fell off when they played South Carolina. It was disgusting. I feel bad for the kid. It was awful. I mean, it's, it, it was one of those things where like the foot literally turns like the entire opposite direction, the wrong direction. It's like, oh God, no. Oh, terrible. So uh, yeah, he's out for the season. He's not playing. So he's not in the picture. So when he's not in the picture, they thought he was going to be the top guy come the season. Then who do you lean on? Well, they brought in this guy from Oregon who they thought was going to be a big time transfer recruit. And his name is Dante Thornton. And Dante Thornton has become had become more of a factor in their offense in the games leading up to last week's game in Missouri. But unfortunately for Tennessee, he went down with an injury, and he will not be playing in this game on Saturday. So they are hurting at receiver. They still do have Squirrel White. He's playing. They still do have Mel Keaton. But again, as I laid out, those guys are fine. They're okay. They're very run-of-the-mill. They aren't elite. And the guys they have behind them now are certainly not ready to be big-time players. Chaz Nimrod, who is a freshman, a true freshman, eight catches, 97 yards on the year. Their other option they're going to be relying on is another true freshman named Caleb Webb, who has 10 catches for 109 yards. So you have you have those two guys, Squirrel White and Ramel Keaton, the vets. You got the veterans. And then you have two true freshmen. That would basically be the equivalent of us going into a big game like this, having to throw in guys like Anthony Evans and Yazid Haynes as two of our top receivers in the in the game. That's what they have had to resort to at this point. So no, this Tennessee passing game does not put the fear of God in me. I still respect them because the offensive scheme is is so tough to deal with, as I laid out earlier. It's just a really tough offensive scheme to deal with when you got one-on-one coverage on the outside. That That's always tough. It's always a challenge. But they don't have the personnel they had a year ago. They don't have Handed Hooker. They don't have Jalen Hyatt. They don't have Cedric Tillman. They don't have Brew McCoy. They have a couple of career role players and two true freshmen. And then at quarterback, you've got a guy that came to Tennessee because he got beat out at Michigan after earning the starting job, got beat out by a guy named Kate McNamara, who now is at Iowa of all teams. And then when he got the job at Tennessee, he opened the season as a starter and then promptly lost that job to Hinton Hooker. That's the guy they've got at quarterback that Tennessee fans are pinning all their hopes on. So yeah, I respect the scheme. I really do. But this is honestly probably the fourth best group of wide receivers that we have faced this year. I would put, certainly put, Ole Miss ahead of them. I would certainly put Missouri ahead of them, and I would probably put South Carolina ahead of them when you factor in how good Xavier Leggett has been for the Gamecocks. And I'd also say that Joe Milton's probably the fourth best quarterback that we have played. Actually, maybe even the fifth best quarterback. Jacob Zeno at UAB ain't, ain't a slouch, guys. That guy can play. But give me Jackson Dart. Give me Brady Cook. Give me Spencer Rattler. And that just wasn't the case last year, guys. It was There was no question about it. Last year, when we played Tennessee... That was the best group of receivers that we played in the regular season, bar none. Hidden Hooker was the best quarterback that we played in the regular season last year, bar none. So if you're wondering why they haven't been as explosive this season and not even close to as explosive as they were a year ago, that is why. It's a personnel problem. But fortunately for Tennessee, they've still been able to be competent enough on offense to win seven games because their running game has been dynamic. Now again, a large part of that is scheme. I don't think that their running backs are special. The only guy that has a chance to be special is really the third guy. That's Dylan Sampson. But he's younger and he's their third option right now. But their scheme makes it really tough. Again, because when they spread the field the way they do with those extreme wide receiver splits, it takes guys out of the box. It removes them even further from the box. It makes it hard for them to help against the run and actually 
fit against the run. And teams are also really hesitant to roll safeties in the box because if you do, then traditionally Tennessee is going to make you pay with a vertical passing and they're not able to do that as much this year, but teams are still hesitant to roll those guys in the box. They don't want to give them any more one-on-one opportunities than they already generate just naturally by virtue of how their scheme is structured. But their ground game has been incredibly effective this year, guys. Up until last week, basically all season, this was the number one rushing team in the entire SEC. And last week against Missouri, they got stoned, really for the first time all year. They got held to under 100 yards, 83 yards rushing. And you combine that with LSU going for like 300 against Florida, LSU was able to jump ahead of Tennessee in the SEC rushing rankings. And Tennessee is now number two at 213 yards per game. They have gone for over 200 yards rushing in seven of their 10 games. They've only been held under 100 one time. And that one time again, was last week against Missouri, and as I said earlier, huh, what happened? Oh, they lost. They got held to 100 yards exactly against Florida. What happened? Oh, yeah, they lost. They got held to 133 against Alabama. What happened? Oh, yeah, they lost. So again, the key to beating Tennessee is stopping the run, and stopping the run with even numbers. Easier said than done, though. Easier said than done. But their lead back, their feature back, it's a guy by the name of Jalen Wright, and he's he's good. Like I, I don't think he's an elite big-time talent, but he's a great fit for that system when he has space. He can operate. He runs hard enough. He's quick. He's got good vision. He's got 848 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt. And this guy is biting off chunks of yards again because large because of the scheme. But he's a good enough player. Three touchdowns on the year. He is their feature back. He's going to get the majority of their carries. He's got 117 carries on the year. The next closest guy in terms of carries is Jabari Small. He's got 85 carries in the year for 420, a little under five yards per attempt, two touchdowns. The guy I mentioned earlier, the youngest of the of the trio, Dylan Sampson, who is a is a sophomore, 74 carries, 425, 5.7 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns. And he's really started to come along lately. I think he is the most explosive. I know the yards per attempt don't say that, but I think he's got the most explosive potential. I think he's the most dynamic runner of the group. I think he's also a threat in the pass game. He's got 16 catches for 173 yards, so they'll get him involved in the pass game. And I certainly imagine with the issues that they're having at receiver right now, expect them to get the running backs more involved in the pass game, the screen game, expect the tight ends to get a little bit more involved, Jacob Bourne, maybe some tight end screen stuff. They will get those guys involved. They're not going to go away from the the deep choice concept because that is the core element of their offense, but they'll work some screen stuff in there as well to keep you honest. And their offensive line is good. It's a good veteran unit. We have been by far the best team in the SEC and one of the best in the country in protecting our quarterback. We've only allowed nine sacks in the year. Well, Tennessee's number two in the league. They've only given up 16. So a good bit away from us, but still only 16 sacks on the year. So it's been a good offensive line. They paved the way for the running backs. They're good enough when they get even numbers in the box. Like if you're going to win when you have even numbers in the box, your offensive line has to be good enough to win those one-on-one matchups. And they largely have been all year in routes of having the number two rushing offense in the entire league. But I will say against the better defensive fronts they have faced, they have not fared as well. Now they did, they were dealing with some injuries in week three when they played Florida, Cooper Mays was not playing. He's their center, maybe their best offensive lineman. I mean, he's been around for 48 years at this point, so he should be pretty good. And he's he's playing well for them. He's back now, and he, he's been a good player for them all year long. But he wasn't really playing in that game, so they had some issues 
really just blocking Florida up front. I and mean, we know the Florida's defense up front is not great. We had no issues with them, really. But they put Tennessee in a suitcase in that game. They just out-physical them. Obviously, Alabama outclassed them. And then Missouri last week, we just saw them a couple weeks ago. That is a really good defensive front. And we all remember how they played us, right? Those really aggressive run blitzes. They would kind of sell out against the run. They did the same thing to Tennessee. And we remember we all had some concerns about our run game after the Missouri game. It was like, man, they kind of they kind of really exposes there. We couldn't run the ball that well. Well, Tennessee, who all season long has run the ball better than we have, had even more issues running the ball against Missouri. Why? I go back to their pass game, right? They could not make Missouri pay. They don't have those receivers that they had last year. Last year, they put up 60-plus on Missouri, and Missouri had the same defensive coordinator and largely the same defensive talent last year, and they still put up 60-plus on Missouri last year. Why? because they had the personnel at quarterback and receiver to make them pay for playing them that aggressively defensively. They don't have that personnel this year. They don't have the receivers that are going to run just right by you. They don't have the quarterback that's going to put the ball in the money almost every single time when the receivers do create separation. So the question becomes now, how do we defend them in this game? I think we have to do exactly what we did last year, and, and at least philosophically. We need to open this game trying to stop the run with even numbers. I, I am dubious as to whether we're going to be able to do that as well as we did the past couple years. I don't think that we will, but it doesn't have to be the level it was the past couple years. So they also don't have the receivers in the court they had last year that can make you pay as much when you kind of start sneaking guys into the box. But you got to take your chances. Roll the dice and see what you can do with even numbers to open the game. Now, this is a game where it'd be nice to have Pop Dumas Johnson back for this game, regardless of how well C.J. Allen played last week. He played really, really well for us for most of that game after those first couple of drives. But this is a game where, where Pop would just have a field day because they're going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball right at you. With a lot. They run a ton of inside zone. Their, their run game is not super varied. It's inside zone, inside zone, maybe run outside zone here or there. But it's it's inside zone duo, that kind of stuff. And that's where Pop would excel. Now, the equalizer, when you're trying to defend them with even numbers, what they'll do is they'll run their quarterback. Joe Milton is not the runner that Hinden Hooker was a year ago. He's not as explosive as Hinden Hooker. He's a different runner. He's a bigger, more physical guy. So he can get some tougher yards than Hooker was able to. Hooker had this ability, like when he got in space, he would do this little dead leg move. He would like fake outside, get your leverage outside. He'd cut back inside real quick. That was like his move. And he would kill people with that. That's not really Joe Milton's game. He's not going to make you miss. He's he's an athletic guy. He's fast enough. He gets in space. And then instead of making you miss, he's just going to put his shoulder down and try to run right through you. And recently, the back half of the season, they have been involving Milton far more in the run game. He only carried the ball 15 times total in Tennessee's first three conference games. But his usage has more than doubled to 35 carries over the last three SEC games that Tennessee has played. So he's become much more a part of their run game. So that makes it even tougher to defend them with even numbers. So let's say Tennessee's got five offensive linemen, one tight end, so you got six blockers in line. Well, if we have six defenders and they're running the quarterback and now your running back becomes an extra blocker, now it's seven blockers on six defenders. And that's what we call a plus one numbers advantage. And that becomes really tough. When that's the case, you've got to have guys win one-on-one matchups. In fact, you need to have more than one guy win their one-on-one matchups. When you have even numbers in the box, it's all about the defenders, those defensive linemen, linebackers. Somebody's got to win one-on-one. They've got to win. They got to beat the man in front of them. And when you're down a man, that becomes even more imperative. And that's when you have to usually start rolling safeties down the box when they get the quarterback involved in the run game. That's one of the things that they, that's one of the reasons they've been involving him more in the run game is because they're trying to do even more to generate those one-on-one looks on the outside with the receivers to try to 
up the explosiveness in their pass game. But regardless, what you cannot do, you cannot give Tennessee the kill shots. If they're going to run the ball down your throat, if they're going to run it 10, 12, 13 times every drive and score on you, let them do it. That was the exact same philosophy that we essentially had against Missouri. We were using that dime package early and often on standard downs against Missouri because the calculus for us was if you want to run the outside zone and run it over and over and over again with Cody Schrader, fine, do it. We're going to gamble on the notion that you're not going to be able to do that consistently enough. Somewhere along the way on these 10, 11, 12 play drives, you are going to make a mistake. Maybe maybe you turn the ball over, you commit a penalty, whatever. You're going to do something that's going to derail the offensive drive and you're not going to be able to score enough points to beat us. If you're getting up explosive plays, well, then you don't really have as many opportunities to force turnovers. You don't have as many opportunities to force the, the offense into some sort of penalty situation and push them back behind the chains. You cannot give up explosive plays. Now, they don't do it as well as they did last year, but they're still capable of it, again, with how the scheme is structured. So I'm coming out trying to defend them with light boxes, see what we can do with even numbers. Just we got to at least try it. And I play a lot of quarters coverage behind it. We did that with a lot of success last year in teams that do tend to have success against the Tennessee pass game. Quarters coverage is typically what they go with. It's not a perfect answer. There is no perfect answer for this Tennessee passing attack if it's if it's humming. But that's what we're going to have to do. Nazir Stackhouse is going to have to play the game of his life. We're going to need Warren Brinson back. We need that guy healthy. We need Christian Miller to be a disruptive force for us. Those, those guys are going to have to win one-on-one. Zion Logue is going to have to play the game of his life. Michael Williams on the edge is going to have to play lights out. Tyranny Ingram Dawkins, Jamel Walthour, those guys are going to have to have big games for us up front, winning the one-on-one matchups, whipping the man in front of them. That's what it takes to stop the Tennessee ground game. If you stop the Tennessee ground game, if you even just relatively hold it in check, you're going to beat Tennessee. But again, easier said than done. All right, guys, we're going to move it over to the defense here in just a moment, but we got to talk about Alumni Hall. Guys, it is the holiday season. It is upon us. And as diehard fans of the University of Georgia, I know that you have plenty of other diehard Georgia fans in your life. So do them a favor. Get them the best gift you could possibly get them by going to Alumni Hall and picking them up the newest and best Georgia gear. They've got new cold weather gear hitting the shelves seemingly every single day. They've got the best collection of hats. they got a great men's selection, women's selection, every brand you could possibly want. Stuff for kids. They've got stuff for your home. they got stuff for your car. Anything and everything that you could possibly want that relates to the Georgia Bulldogs, Alumni Hall is going to have you covered. So stop in today either in-store inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, we got to talk about this Tennessee defense. The Tennessee offense, understandably so, gets the vast majority of the attention when you talk about this Tennessee football program. But this Tennessee defense has very quietly turned into a very good unit. They were good last year. That was the secret about Tennessee that no one really wanted to talk about. Everyone would act like, oh, it's just an offensive-driven team. Their defense is just good enough to hang on. No, that defense was good last year. This year, they are even better. I would say last year they were a pretty good defense and they were really good at times in certain games. They finished last year giving up 405 yards per game, 5.32 yards per play. This year, significantly better. They're top five in the league at 340.6 yards per game allowed and only 4.99 yards per play. This is a legitimately good SEC defense. Not elite. Hear what I'm saying? It's not elite. I'm not trying to tell you that. 
I am not trying to make them out to be something that they are not, but they're good guys. They're right behind Alabama in terms of yards per game and yards per play. Alabama's defense, who we all think is really good, right? Get about 318.2 yards per game, 4.9 yards per play. Yes, better than the Tennessee defense, but only marginally, not by all that much. And their numbers have improved this year largely because they've improved a lot against the run. They are a good rush defense. They're, again, top five in the SEC in rushing defense. Right now, they're number four in the league. Give them 113 yards per game, only 3.17 yards per carry. In fact, that 3.17 yards per carry is second best in the SEC. And that number is far more important to me than the total yards you've given up on the ground because that's just a function of how many times people have run the ball on you. How many yards are you giving up each time a team runs the ball? They're only giving up 3.17. In fact, that's better than us, guys. We're giving up 3.77 yards per carry. They're only giving up 3.17. They've been really good against the run. And they've been good against the run largely because of a a really good defensive line. Again, I, I wouldn't say this is an elite defensive line, but they are good up front. In the middle of that defense, they've got big Omari Thomas at 6'4", 320. He's at the nose tackle position for them. He's kind of like their Jordan Davis. Obviously not Jordan Davis, but he tries to play that role. He's a big physical run defender who's really hard to move. He eats up space, eats up blocks. Number 21, if you've watched Tennessee, you've seen that guy. He's right there in the middle of the defense. He's big, huge, big, huge orange dude. Hard to miss him. And one guy that I think is a really dangerous player, I don't think it's enough love when you talk about this Tennessee defensive front is Omar Norman a lot. Now he is an interior defensive lineman. He's like a three tech guy, but this guy has been a really explosive interior pass rusher for them. He is a redshirt junior. He's a transfer from Arizona state. The dude's a good football player. He's got five and a half sacks from the interior defensive line. That's not something you usually hear about an interior three-tech defensive lineman. Five and a half sacks, that's pretty big time when you're talking about an interior defensive lineman. You usually don't see those numbers with interior guys like that, but he is that kind of guy. So watch out for that guy. Omari Thomas, different kind of guy, eats up space. And when Omar Norman Lott gets one-on-one coverage because you've got Thomas eating up blocks, he can win those one-on-one matchups against those guards, and he can rush the passer from the interior. And that's tough for quarterbacks to handle when you got a guy bearing down on you right in your face. But by far the most dangerous threat on this entire Tennessee defense is their outside linebacker, James Pierce Jr. This guy is second in the league with eight sacks. He was leading the league for a while. He's second now behind the dude from Mississippi State with eight sacks. The issue for James Pierce is that he struggles as a run defender. He's 6'5", 240. He's basically the size of Jalen Walker, right? And we know what kind of a pass rusher Jalen Walker is, but why does Jalen Walker not play more in standard downs, like at the jack position? Because he's not big enough to hold up consistently against the run from that position, be able to close on all those blockers pulling in your face. And you can say the same about James Pierce. The way that I would attack James Pierce, he's an explosive, athletic guy. He's he's very slight of frame. You look at him out there on the field, 6'5", 240, he doesn't look 240. He looks about like 225. So I don't even know if he's really 240. He's a skinny dude. And he simply cannot hold up against the run. He does not set the edge well at all. If you run the ball at him, he becomes a liability. It reminds me a lot of Harold Perkins from LSU last year. He's like a poor man, Harold Perkins. That's that's really what he is. He's not quite as athletic. He's not. He's certainly not as athletic as Harold Perkins. He's really athletic. He's just not that caliber. But a lot like Harold Perkins, he excels as a pass rusher. He excels in space. And when you run the ball right at him, he has no answer. He becomes a liability. And that's why I was saying coming to the SEC Championship game last year, you need to find Harold Perkins on the field and you need to run the ball right at him over 
and over and over again. Because number one, you take him out of doing what he wants to do. Number two, is going to wear him out trying to defend the run because he's smaller and he's just going to get whipped. Number three, it's going to demoralize him. And number four, you have a lot of success because he can't stop the run and therefore you don't, you're, you're going to be consistently in third and short situations if you get to even third down. And that's going to take away his ability to just pin his ears back and rush the passer on third and long, which is really where he excels, just like Harold Perkins. So if you're asking me, I'd run the ball. When we run the ball, find where that man is. Find where that man is and run the ball right at him. And if you do that, eventually, there's going to have to take him off the field. That is how I would go about neutralizing him. It's, it's just really important to stay out of third and long. You get in third and long situations, any kind of obvious passing situation, that guy becomes a major threat. You got to stay out of that. How do you stay out of it? You run the football, stay ahead of the chains, and you run the ball right at him to do that. Tyler Barron is another guy you have to account for on this Tennessee defensive front. He's not a dynamic rusher, but he's good enough out there. He kind of plays like the five-tech defensive end. He's almost really like a true 4-3 defensive end. He's got five sacks in the year, eight and a half tackles for loss. The dude's a really good player. He's not as, as disruptive as Pierce. Again, Pierce has eight sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss. But Barron's another guy that you got to watch for. So that trio of Pierce Jr., Norman Lott, and Barron, those are three really good disruptive players on that defensive front. And it's a big reason why they have taken a step forward this year. Now, outside of Pierce, he's not a great run defender. In fact, he's a liability in the run game. But Barron and Norman Lott up front are big parts of why they have been better against the run this year. At linebacker, they're pretty good. Keenan Peely was a guy they got as a transfer who was going to be one of their stars this year. He's been out since early in the year. He's going to be out in this game, so he's not playing. We're going to talk about him. The guy that I think has been somewhat disappointing for Tennessee this year is linebacker Aaron Beasley. Coming back from last year, he was one of the best players on that defensive team last year, on the defensive unit last year, and he's been fine, but it's almost as though he's taken a step back this year. I mean, this guy is out of position far more often than a guy that's plays as much football as he has should be. He struggles to tackle at times. Not at times. He often struggles to tackle. He'll be one-on-one with the guy where he should bring him down and he just either whiffs or the guy just breaks the tackle and runs right through him. He's just not playing at the level that he played a year ago. And it's one of those weird situations for them. He's still a good player. I still think he's a good player. He just hasn't been playing that way for most of the year. Now, the guy that's been a Probably a better force for them in the middle of that defense, that middle linebacker, is sophomore Elijah Herring. I mean, Beasley's a senior, guys. He's been around for a long time, played a lot for them. It's just kind of inexplicable. It's almost like popping away. Like, what are you doing? Why are you blowing so many assignments? You played so much football. You haven't done this before in your career. What's happening? And that's kind of been the story of the season for Aaron Beasley. But he's still a, a good player. So you got to respect him. Elijah Herring, a younger player who's kind of had to fill in for Peely, who was going to be the guy all year for them. He's been much better. He's leading the team in tackles right now. I think he's going to be a good player for them long term. He's a good athlete, good, strong, physical, downhill linebacker. And he's another reason why they haven't missed too much of a beat losing Peely in the middle of that defense. So yeah, the Tennessee run defense has been good. It's been one of the better run defenses in the entire league. However... The same cannot be said for the Tennessee pass defense. They are struggling a lot like they did a year ago. The 228 yards per game that they are allowing through the air is good for 70th nationally. They aren't giving up as many explosive plays through the air as they did a year ago. Last year in 13 games, they gave up 49 passing plays of 20 or more yards. This year, through 10 games, they've given up 32, which is right in the middle of the pack in the SEC, and that puts them on pace to give up roughly 41 passing plays of 20 or more yards this year, so they have improved in terms of explosive plays allowed through the air, but they're still not very good in that department, and one of the reasons they struggle with that is philosophical. 
A lot like Missouri, they want to force the issue against the run. They're hyper-aggressive against the run, which is another part of why they've been so much better against the run, but they're, they are hyper-aggressive defending the run, and they are putting their DBs out there on islands more often than honestly they should. They don't have those kind of corners. They don't have those kind of safeties that are that good in coverage. They don't have those guys, but their calculus is, we're going to force the issue against the run. We're going to get you in third and long, and we're going to get going to get aggressive with pass rushers like James Pierce Jr., and we're going to get you off the field. But we are going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to hit explosive plays against this Tennessee secondary. Those opportunities are going to be there, guys. It's a matter of two things. Number one, can we protect Carson Beck? We've been so good at that, better than just about anybody in the country all season long. But this is also a very good pass rushing unit. They are second in the league with 33 sacks this year. I read you the names. You know them. Can we protect Carson Beck? We're going to have opportunities. The plays will be there. Those deep shots are going to be there. Can we protect him and give Carson the time he needs to hit those shots? The answer against Missouri too often was no. We tried to dial up those shots, but the number of sacks that we had surrendered all season went up by 50% after that one game against Missouri. We cannot let that happen again against Tennessee, especially with this game on the road, because that's going to get the crowd even more in the game. They're going to feed off of that, and it's going to become even more difficult for our offense. We've got to protect the number one, give him opportunities to actually deliver the football. And then number two, we just got to connect. We've got to hit him. When Carson has those vertical shot opportunities, and again, they will be there this week, he's going to have to hit them. I'm not saying he's got to go 100%, but he's got to hit a fair number of them to make them pay for how they're going to try to sell out against the run. I think this Tennessee defense struggles probably the most out of the slot position. I don't think they cover well there. They've had some injuries there. They've had some issues they've had to kind of compensate for at times with the personnel. And they, they still struggle. They struggled there last year. I mean, last year, Dominic Lovett had his best game of the year against Tennessee. That guy, Tennessee blew them out, but Dominic Lovett had a really good game against Tennessee. And I think that we can hurt them from the slot position this year too. You can use Dominic Lovett. You can move Ladd in there. He's got that positional versatility. Obviously, you can use Brock there. I think the slot fade, which hasn't really been a part of our offense this year, I think that it needs to. I love Mike Bobo. We've talked about that earlier this week. I think the guy has been elite this year. I think the slot fade could make us even more effective and explosive offensively, especially against a team like Tennessee that struggles from that slot DB position. But it's also going to be important for us to find a way to run the football with enough success. I'm not saying that we have to run the ball for 300 yards like we did a week ago against Ole Miss. I don't expect that to happen. It doesn't need to happen. If we can run for 150 or so, average four, four and a half yards per carry, I think that's going to be good enough. The reason I say we're going to be able to run the football, well, number one, we need to be able to slow down that pass rush, stay in third and short. We don't want to be in those third and long situations. That's where their pass rush is really just going to pin its ears back and get after us and make it really tough in our offensive line to protect cars in the way that we need to. So that's number one. And number two, running the football, running the clock keeps their offense off the field. It takes the crowd out of the game. That's something that we're going to need to be able to do. We're going to need to be able to run the football and we're going to need to be able to take shots down the field and protect them and hit those shots when we get opportunities. I think the slot is a spot where we can really have a lot of success. I think we can have success outside as well, but I'd really look at that slot position, use Lovett there, get Ladd involved in the slot, Brock as well, and generate those explosive play opportunities. All right, so there's the defense, guys. Real quick before I get out of here, we always like to talk about the keys to the game. So I'm going to probably say some things I've said throughout this show, but I just kind of want to summarize it here. I think one of the big keys in this game, there's two big keys in this game, honestly, in my opinion. As I've made very clear, you got to stop the Tennessee run game. 
And when I say stop the Tennessee run game, I mean, you have to do that with even numbers and you need to get them in third and long. When they get in third and long, when they're not able to run the football successfully in those early standard down situations, they are not effective throwing the ball. In those situations, third downs this season, Milton is 40 of 73, only 54% completion percentage, four touchdowns, three picks. And he's only converted first downs on about a third of those passing attempts. And then on the flip side for us, we've got to find a way to run the football so we can stay out of third and long, keep their pass rushers at bay, have the full menu of our playbook available to us, and take some explosive shots down the field when we get in second and short and third and short because they're going to be there and I think that we can hit them. Now, all the other things that apply in really every single game, especially when you're playing in a really hostile environment like Neyland Stadium will be, I mean, guys, they're going to be out for blood on Saturday. We have to understand that. We know that. All the things that apply in, in games like that, don't turn the ball over, no special teams mistakes, play a clean football game, all those things apply. Score touchdowns in the red zones, force field goals when they're in the red zone. Because think about it, what is the recipe for a team like Tennessee to pull the upset? Force turnovers, big plays on special teams, touchdowns in the red zone, hold us to field goals in the red zone. If we can avoid those things, they have no chance to win. Because if it's straight up, we are clearly a better football team. Now, if we play below our standard and we let the crowd noise affect us and our offense can't communicate, we make some mistakes, we put the ball on the ground, we throw interceptions, we give them defensive scores, special team scores, then all of a sudden it gets, it gets hairy. But if we come out and play Georgia football, this is not a game that we should lose. This is a game, in fact, that we should win comfortably. I'm not saying blow them out like Ole Miss last week. But the spread's, what, 10 now? We should win this game by 10-plus points if we come out and play anywhere close to our capabilities. Will that happen? That's the million-dollar question, man. That's always what we, what we have to wonder. We don't know. But if we do, we win this football game. But Charlie and I will be back with one more episode this week where we will give you our final official picks of the week. We will reveal our picks in this Georgia-Tennessee matchup. So make sure to check back then. But that's all I got for you guys. I hope I delivered today. That was my plan. That was my goal. I gave my best shot. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you feel better prepared for what to watch for and what you're going to see out there on the field on Saturday in this Georgia-Tennessee matchup than you were before the episode. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being here. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>